0: It is nice for us to sing these songs about the various letters to the churches, and today we are singing the song with the message from the letter to Pergamum. So I invite you to sing with us now as we begin. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of hidden manna, and a white stone on which is written a new secret name. Who has an ear, let her hear what the Spirit says to the church.
1: and Pergamos write. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give some of the hidden manna, I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it.
0: An ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of hidden manna and a white stone on which is written. experiences
2: to the church. Just a couple quick items before we jump in here. First um In the interesting labyrinth, that is the parking beside the upper youth center amongst the trees, it appears someone who is trying to leave has been trapped. And as much as we might make them come in and hear the service again, maybe they already did and would like to go. But if if you happen to have a Nissan Sentra that's burgundy with an EKKG34, they'd like you to move if you can. But uh, yeah, do what you need to do there. All right. And one other quick note, Uh, we're making some changes in our live stream, Uh, just with our adjustments and the new systems and everything. One of the changes we're making has to do with the group that we're streaming our services with. So this won't have any impact on you at all if you're watching online on the church website. But in the future, if you're watching on Roku or Apple TV, then you're going to have to re-download the app for the Forest Lake Church. Sorry about that little bit of hardship if you're doing that. But uh, it's going to be in a different spot. So it'll still be called the same thing. So just delete the one you have. And at the end of the week, because it won't have happened by tomorrow, but re-download that app, and then you'll be good on Roku, Apple TV. Then it will also be on Amazon Fire at that point. And for a little while, it won't be up live streaming on Facebook. So those of you in this room, probably you're usually here anyway. But if you happen to join us that way or are doing that today, please note those changes which will happen this week. All right, let's pray. Father, we have heard the words of this message to Pergamum. I pray, Lord, that we would be those who have ears, and that we would hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the paintings of the Seventh-day Adventist artist Nathan Green. Have you ever seen Nathan Green? Paintings are beautiful, aren't they? He captures Jesus so well in his love and his grace. And just a couple examples I've got here to show you. This is one I like very much. This is Jesus with the Lamb. That's beautiful, isn't it? You see Jesus calling... The lamb comes. I love that picture. In um, another setting, that he will paint sometimes Jesus with children. So here's an example of Jesus with a child. And this is, this is accurate. I mean, the children flocked to Jesus. He said, uh, Suffer the children to come to me and forbid them not. He, he said, Let them come. And so they wanted to do that. I also like the way that, that he places Jesus sometimes in the places where we work. So there's another one here. Maybe you've seen this one. Have you ever been to Florida Hospital? Right by the elevator, I think, is this picture. Uh, and I think that's fantastic and, and what we would hope would be the truth if we were ever the one that was the patient. And then in another case, uh, one of the classics that he's painted of the inviting Jesus. Have you seen this one? It's beautiful. This is the, like, you can hear him say, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I love these pictures because they're an outstanding depiction of 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 Jesus desire to bring us to himself and paint a picture of his love for us but there's another image of Jesus that we don't so often see painted and we don't so often imagine in our minds we find it in the first words to the church that we're considering today Revelation chapter 2 verse 12 to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Jesus and the sword. It's startling enough to think about Jesus with a sword, but it isn't just that Jesus has a sword. The reality of where this sword comes from, a point that's referenced at the end of this message, is even more troubling. It's spelled out very clearly in Revelation chapter 1. You'll remember the vision that John sees in chapter 1 becomes the little pieces that are revealed to the churches. Revelation chapter 1 verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. We're going to get a taste of what that's about next week. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Now that's not a picture we usually see painted, is it? Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth. In fact, I hope it doesn't scare you too bad, but but here's an example of someone who an artist that at least tried to get it. It's a little scary, isn't it? Maybe even a little creepy almost. But you see the lamp stands there here's another try at it. This one is maybe a little harder to see, but it's, it's actually extremely accurate to what's being described here. If you can see his hand here, there's stars in that hand and, and there's this brilliance around his head and the, the sword coming out of his mouth. You see these pictures, it kind of gives us a better idea why, after John saw this vision, he fell at the feet of Jesus as though dead. I mean, think about that picture of the little lamb and he's calling the lamb and John falls dead in front of that. You're like, come on, John, give me a break. But this, we aren't so good sometimes with the Jesus of power, the Jesus of authority, the Jesus of judgment, the Jesus with the sword. We're not so good with that, are we? I commented on this dynamic last Sabbath when we were considering the words to the Church of Smyrna I said this never forget this reality Jesus as judge will often seem scary to those who live indulgently in prosperity but to the oppressed Jesus as judge is their only hope I think a great truth is revealed about us and the reality in which we live when We only like the pictures of Jesus when he's nurturing and shy away from any of the revelations of his great power and authority. And that great truth, I think, is this. Compared with most of the world throughout most of history, our lives have been pretty easy and pretty good. Now there's obvious exceptions, and sometimes things are difficult. Some people are living in Smyrna. But here's the deal. When I have at least five chairs or couches in my house that rival the comfort only kings used to know, and when I have hot and cold clean running water in a room right next to my bed, whose mattress, frankly, I don't love, but it's still better than 99-plus percent of the ways people have slept throughout history until now. I have to admit, mine has not been a rugged life. So mostly, I have not very often cried out to Jesus for rescue from oppressors again I realize my experience is not universal but I also realize it's not unique and because my prayers have not been primarily for rescue from someone who is threatening to kill me my prayers have instead most often been prayers for mercy and forgiveness of sins such as the sins of selfishness and overindulgence. these are the primary sins of privilege selfishness and overindulgence and in that context Jesus as the mighty judge is not the image I'm looking for I'm a little more interested in Jesus as tender shepherd usually if we were use the word mighty with Jesus it's in the context of Jesus is mighty to save by which we mean Jesus is mighty to forgive my sins not so much Jesus is mighty with a sword to mete out judgment and wrath. We don't mean that usually, do we? So it is good for us sometimes to challenge ourselves like this, lest we become trapped in the narrowness of our preferred picture of Jesus. And I believe the message to Pergamum gives us that opportunity, for it challenges more than one of our narrownesses. Revelation 2, verse 12, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. So we continue today with our fall series focused on the seven churches in revelation we're calling this series candles and we've reached the third church that we will consider pergamum just a geographic reminder these churches existed in real places you can see on this map in the far bottom left corner that's the isle of patmos where john was writing and then the seven yellow boxes are where these churches were. They were in a region of what is now modern-day Turkey that was referred to in that day as the region of Asia. The one there on the bottom on the left is Ephesus. We talked about them. Straight north of there is Smyrna. And then further up, the furthest north of all these cities, is Pergamum. Pergamum grew to prominence during the Roman era and was the capital city of that province of Asia for a while before the influence shifted to Ephesus. We have an artist's idea of what the citadel there looked like. You see, there's a large hill that dominates the plain around Pergamum, and on top of this hill was built this most remarkable central city area complete with multiple temples and government buildings. It was dominated a large surrounding plain Now on the edge of this amazing hillside is an amphitheater. And now this amphitheater, if you came in late and tripped on the back row, you might end up right there on the stage. So you want to be careful if you go there. But this unbelievable setting, can you imagine that filled with people watching the play? Do you get the idea of the scale? and the distances there. This is such a fabulous amphitheater. It rivals anything that you might see today, like Red Rocks or Hollywood Bowl, or, I mean, name your favorite outdoor setting. I don't know that it was better than that. It was situated with such a spectacular vista, and I don't know if you can even comprehend this in your mind, but way down there at the bottom, those are buildings. They look just like little tiny squares. That's how high up this is and how amazing this view is. It was such a spectacular valley vista that even if the play was lousy, you could still feel like the view alone validated your price of admission. I mean, just quit watching and look. It's glorious. Now, the church in Pergamum was never as prominent as it was in Ephesus, But it still would grow to be a church of significance. And by the 2nd century was considered a bishopric, which meant that the church leaders in Pergamum gave oversight to all the smaller churches around. At least at the time of the writing of of John, it seems that fidelity and faithfulness were the key issues with the church in Pergamum. Verse 13, I know where you live where satan has his throne yet you remain true to my name you did not renounce your faith in me not even in the days of antipas my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where satan lives so we can glean from this that there was apparently at least some degree of persecution in pergamum though it does not appear to have been as severe as what took place in smyrna There's some debate about that phrase that you see here where Satan has his throne, but one very plausible theory on this was that the city of Pergamum, up on that hill, had a very prominent major temple to the god Zeus. Now if you were to travel and wanted to see this, you actually wouldn't go to Pergamum to see it because there were a bunch of German archaeologists who worked extensively in this area of Pergamum and took just about everything of that temple and moved it to Berlin so if you want to see the temple of Zeus from Pergamum you gotta go to Berlin but that's an idea of what the front of it looked like it was amazing so it's clear enough that there was in this city a rather strong pagan, pagan culture and it would seem clear that to some degree this culture had a pull on the believers though verse 13 is praise for the believers in pergamum who had not compromised to the pole however unlike the message to smyrna the words to the faithful and at least somewhat persecuted in pergamum they aren't just words of encouragement they also contain a reprimand and a warning Verse 14, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, there's a couple interesting things to notice in these words. First of all, note that this is not a general rebuke against all of the believers in Pergamum. He has already affirmed what seems to be the majority of the believers for their faithfulness. But he says, yet there are some in your midst. And it's very interesting how these folks are described as holding to the teachings of Balaam. Now, let me just give a little note here. Someone can come along with the book of Revelation and kind of paint a big picture for you and and tell you what the different things are supposed to mean and kind of create a, a whole interpretation of the book for you. And you can walk away with a certain surface understanding of what this book is about. But if you really want to understand the book of Revelation deeply, You need to understand the rest of the Bible deeply, and particularly the Old Testament. And the message to Pergamum is a perfect example of this truth. Who was Balaam? Well, we don't have time for details, but Balaam was that very strange prophet of Yahweh who was not actually a part of Israel, during the time when Israel was coming out of Egypt and traveling to the land of Canaan and they came up next to the land of Moab and Balak the king of Moab hired Balaam the prophet to come down and curse Israel if you remember this story it didn't go so well did it he kept trying but he couldn't but now what's interesting is this message to the church in Pergamum doesn't say those who hold to the curses of Balaam it says to the teaching of Balaam what was the teaching of Balaam the main story of Balaam is found in numbers 22 to 24 but then comes another included part and then an epilogue to the story of Balaam is found in numbers 31 you see the Moabite and Midianite women enticed the men of Israel to come to the festivals and sacrifices to their pagan gods, to eat the food sacrificed to idols, and then to engage with them in sexual immorality. That's the exact language that we get in the letter to the church in Pergamum, isn't it? The act resulted in the people becoming separated from the Lord and a plague breaking out in the camp that resulted in the death of many of the Israelites. But apparently... The women of Moab and of Media did not cook up this scheme all by themselves. In relation to these women, this comment is found. Numbers chapter 31, verse 16. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the pure incident so that a plague struck the Lord's people. So apparently, after Balaam failed to curse Israel, he stepped back and he said, okay, this isn't going to work. But if you really want to get the best of these people, let me tell you how you do it. The lesson from the Balaam incident is a simple one and one that is all too often lived out by far too many of us. You see... You cannot defeat God's people with a frontal attack when God's people are faithful to God. No one can beat God's people that way. But you can destroy them from behind by enticing them into sin. Can anybody here say drugs and alcohol? Has that ever destroyed a community? Can anybody say unfaithfulness in marriage? Can anybody say internet pornography? How about? Binge anything. Can anybody say embezzlement? Shady business dealings? You see, these are just a few of the enticements that Satan uses to separate us from God. These are the acts of unfaithfulness that over time lead to collapse. There were some among the believers in Pergamum who were in these kinds of traps. Aren't you glad we don't have any of those problems here? Aren't you glad we don't live in Pergamum? Yeah, well, I guess that's not true, is it? So I say, welcome to Pergamum, where at least the views are very nice. Is anything trying to sneak around behind us? So now that we know this message isn't just about them, but also for us, what does the Jesus with the sword need to tell us? Verse 16. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. It really is a simple message. Don't miss it. If you are here today as a professed believer, yet you are living as a slave to a secret sin, today is your warning. Repent, or the Lord Jesus with the sword will come and fight against you with His sword. And let me just say, you don't want that. You don't want to go to war with Jesus. So don't do it. You see, the good news about Pergamum and those in Pergamum who currently hold to the teachings of Balaam Is that it's not too late. There's still time to repent. But the message to Pergamum tells us the clock is ticking. What clock? Well, for one thing, we believe Jesus is coming soon. And while I don't want you to view that glorious day as a threat, If you're a slave to secret secret sin, you, you might need to see it that way for a little while. For another, life is a fragile thing and can be taken away in a moment. As was so well noted in this very room, many of you gathered here last night ken fuller jr a young man in his thirties taken away in a moment jesus wants to come to you as the gentle shepherd you remember the picture of jesus with the sheep that's how he wants to come to you but if we by our continued unfaithful actions become a risk to the rest of the people of god if we by our actions are tearing down the camp, Jesus will not stand by forever without acting. He will come to you with his sword, and on that day you will wish you had repented at the sound of his gentle call. Some of you here today know exactly what I'm talking about, for you rejected the gentle call, and then you experienced the sword. The good news is you have repented, and you are secure here today, but at what loss did your repentance come? What price did you pay for clinging to folly? Do you hear what I'm saying today? Verse 17, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. It is not too late for anyone who is in this room right now. Jesus is calling you and you can be victorious. Too long have you filled your stomach with the food of unfaithfulness, the food sacrificed to idols, but today Jesus says, come, I've got hidden manna. I've got the food you really want and Jesus wants to give you proof that you can overcome the text says I will give a white stone there was a tradition that in in certain court processes during this time that if you were accused and you went before the judge sometimes when the judge went away and made the ruling on your case, if the judge determined that you were either innocent or you could be excused, they would give you a white stone. And you could take that stone with you as the proof that you had been released. Jesus has a white stone He wants to give you. now i want to ask you if you have felt today a clear conviction that you may well be one of those people living in pergamum who hasn't necessarily been faithful but instead has been listening to the teaching of balaam and has allowed yourself even as you're coming here week after week well-dressed and looking good To actually be subject to the sins the enticements that tear God's people apart from behind you see we don't often make appeals it's just not really part of our culture and what we do but but every now and then we need to act but this is not a general appeal I know in truth all of us want that white stone with a new name written on it. But that's not what this is about. Today is not for the righteous in Pergamum. But instead it's for all those whose hearts have felt the conviction this day who don't want to meet Jesus with the sword. They want to meet Jesus calling the lamb. well jesus is calling his lambs today and if you know that there has been an enticement sneaking around and tearing you down and today you want to get that white stone I want you to come while we sing this closing hymn and take your stone you don't have to stay here you can just pick it up and go right back to your seat but I want you to get this and I want you to take it with you and I want you to put it somewhere where you will see it so it will remind you that the tender shepherd calls you and doesn't want to come with the sword and this is your chance to believe and be delivered be victorious it's not a general appeal but it could be an appeal to you today. Don't be amongst those in Pergamum to whom Jesus has to come with his sword. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that we have ears. And that if it is our heart that you have been speaking to any one of us here today, if enticements are drawing us away and we are not standing faithful, if we hear your voice calling us today, Lord, help us respond and receive this white stone as a symbol of Your promise to those who are victorious. In Jesus' name, Amen.